you mentioned you've been working from home like long before COVID, long before like the people like me like started working from home full time. Um, I'm guessing that's probably pretty common in the the Vuln research um, field. You know, people you know get in a dark room and just look at Ida Pro all day. Um, uh, so, how long have you? Would you say you've been working from home then? Uh, I work from home since like my very first job in the security field. Uh, at the time, I was like you know usual consulting and pen test stuff. Uh, but all my employees um, had like um, work from home option. And pretty much we didn't add like uh, big offices or, or stuff like this. So apart from like going to the client to do the actual job, I always work from home. So it's like, I don't know, since 2015 that I'm working from home. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very cool. And actually, I guess to take a step back, so I, you know, I, I think I found your blog at some point, and, you know, I, I dabbled in exploit dev, like in an academic sense, like c considering doing that, you know, in the future. Um, you know, I've, I, I've sort of been around, uh, you know, different domains within cybersecurity, but I found your blog, obviously reached out. Um, but I guess, I mean, you mentioned your company and VoidSec, I'm guessing. Um, so maybe you just introduce yourself and what you do and what VoidSec's all about, that'd be cool. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Paolo, uh, or I'm better known on the internet as VoidSec. Uh, I have also a blog, so it's VoidSec.com. And in my daily routine nowadays, I'm doing vulnerability research and exploit development. But yeah, I'm, I come from uh, completely different background where I was doing like consulting, pen testing stuff. So kind of different mindset and uh, and approach um, to, to the security field. But yeah, so that's pretty much who I am. Yeah, awesome. I think there's there's a lot of, so a lot of people, um, I think I've talked about this on, on another podcast, but there's a lot of people who, you know, hear about cybersecurity and they're like, I want to get into cybersecurity. There's a lot of jobs, the money's good, whatever it may be. I can work from home remotely. You know, I get to look like the guy from Mr. Robot, whatever it is that compels somebody to want to get into the field. Um, and a lot, and most of those people I've, I have found, and maybe this is for lack of understanding of what really cybersecurity is all about. A lot of people want to be, you know, pen testers, bug bounty hunters. I don't know. They want to hack stuff. Um, yeah. So I'm interested um, you know, how you got your start in, you know, the pen testing red teaming field and then, you know, moving into the more, I think, you know, uh, I'll say more advanced, but, you know, just more niche realm of like volume research and exploit dev, um, you know, how that, how that journey sort of came to be. Yep. So, well, let's say that back in time, especially for here in Italy, it wasn't that common to have like uh, penetration tests uh, or security related engagements. They were like uh, at the beginning and in some ways we're still hard if like compared to US or UK, for example. And um, so I was lucky because I always been interested in like IT in general. And um, since like high school, I always focus on the offensive part of the security related field. So um, pretty much after my my degree, I directly tried to apply for, for a job. And I was lucky enough because one of the um, like personality that we had back in time here in Italy, he, he had like a, an, an open position and he get me on board. So um, I started working as like, you know, junior consultant, uh, like doing vulnerability assessments and stuff. And uh, I basically worked my way uh, into the, the other security fields. So um, uh, I think that the most uh, uh, useful, useful thing that I've done was like studying a lot <laughs> and it, I'm still doing it, right? So um, it's like, an, never changing field so you always need to be on top of like the latest research the latest vulnerabilities and stuff so like reading a lot studying a lot and experimenting a lot 
and uh, and that's pretty much how I get into the how I got into the security field. And um, after that, basically, I um, I was able to like move away from from Italy. I relocated myself in UK, and, and that was like like uh, an eye opening for me because it was like a completely different approach and a more advanced one. Uh, so also the engagements were like more uh, interesting from like the client perspective or the code we were auditing back in time and, and stuff like this. So, um, and yeah, and after, I mean, I always wanted to like doing low level exploitation stuff uh, because it was like what um, interests me the most. And, uh, and it took me some time. I mean, I've started as web application pen tester and I ended up like doing uh, vulnerability research and exploit development on Windows. That was like my main target pretty much since the start. But uh, you have to, you know, uh, gather knowledge and, and skills to, to, to reach that specific point. And that will be true for most of the jobs, right? So <laughs> what was, what would you say like the spark? Cause there's plenty of people who are full-time pen testers, even full-time red teamers, and they never once will have a CVE or do any, or, you know, write an exploit. Um, you know, they'll, they'll use, you know, what comes prepackaged in Metasploit or some exploit framework, but they're not going to, you know, find one themselves or, or open up a disassembler or something. So what was there, was there something specific that you, you know, take a class or did you work with somebody who, you know, did that and you were like, that's really cool. That's, you know, I want to move away from doing like the pen testing stuff full time and, and move into exploit dev. Uh, not really. It was something like uh, I always had in the back of my mind, like uh, understanding at low level how the stuff works and how you can break it. Um, and so there is no like... Uh, uh, I can't trace back to a specifically Spark or uh, or something that ignited my my passion for the exploit development. It was like just a series of things. Uh, probably the most uh, like uh, close things to it was like reading the uh, shellcode hackers handbook. I think where the the author was like detailing all the steps to like buffer overflow and shell code development. And that was probably the closest things that uh, triggered my interest into that part, but not the only one. So. Sure. Um, so what, what area, you know, uh, cause there's, you know, probably a lot, right? I mean, you've got Linux, Windows, IOT, uh, you know, cloud, and there's a lot of different areas yep. that you can get into. Is there an area you specialize in specifically, or are you sort of all over the place? No, no, no. Uh, I tried um, to focus. I'm trying, still trying to focus only on uh, Windows platform. Uh, so both uh, the main OS and uh, third parties applications. Uh, but like in my daily routine, it can happen that like we are taking apart uh, web application that maybe are running on, on Windows, um, but the target is a web application itself. Uh, other time is just like straight low level binary exploitation, reverse engineering, starring at IDA <laughs> all the day, all the week, and and find something out of it. So um, yeah, but I'm just trying to focus on Windows user land and kernel land. So is in terms of I guess your focus on Windows is that because that's what you've been doing that you think that's the most interesting, the most lucrative. Um... Is there any particular reason why, I mean, I know there's been a quite a, you know, the market share for Windows has, you know, for, I guess historically, you know, it's probably made yep. sense to be a Windows exploit dev, but, you know, nowadays you probably make a lot of money if you're a really good iOS exploit dev, uh, obviously, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, window, you know, there's, there's a, a big shift away from Intel. Um, you know, now we're looking at ARM based Windows, ARM based Macs. Uh, you know, the proliferation of mobile devices and IoT devices. So there's a lot less that's focused exactly on Windows. So I'm curious, like, um, you know, I mean, it sounds like I maybe already inferred what your the focus for Windows is, but do you see yourself um, staying on that long term or do you, do you you see something else as like the next interesting step for you? So uh, I think that initially I decided to focus on Windows because it was the 
main OS that I was like used uh, to. So, um, and, and of course, market share is also an interesting factor. And of course, it makes sense to focus on Windows um, because like all the companies and all like consumer based PC are running on Windows. Uh, and that makes sense from an exploit development perspective, right? Um, apart from that, uh, I don't know. I just like the OS. Uh, I like the fact that um, it's closed source, right? So um, it's not that easy um, to, to focus on like different areas and components. And uh, while for like Linux or Unix targets, you, you can still go out and read the code. And uh, I don't know the fact that this was more difficult, more difficult than other targets. It was the the trigger for me. So that's why I got into Windows. And I honestly, I'm planning to stay on on Windows. I don't know if uh, sooner or later I will try to shift maybe a bit away from like uh, the user land uh, space to get into like maybe browser exploitation that is like still user land of course but um like completely different uh knowledge and completely different yeah um base uh, knowledge that you have to gather for for doing that so um, but yeah i'm planning to stay on windows i honestly i'm not entirely sure that we will see a shift towards arm uh for like pc or consumer pc uh, unless they will try and match actually the, the performance on like Intel or I don't know the, the usual <laughs> processor so yeah I mean I think that's fair um, I, I you know obviously they're dabbling because you know what Apple's been doing lately and uh, so it'll be interesting to see but yeah definitely I mean definitely the market share is still there with Intel um, so in terms, I guess more like tactically. So um, I took a, so you're probably familiar with uh, offensive securities, like exploit dev courses that they have. Um, so you're probably familiar with like their super advanced, I forget what, like what they call it. Uh, um, OSEE. Oh uh, well, yeah. The OSEE, their exploit um, expert. Um, so I, yeah. I took that course at Black Hat a couple years ago um, when I was doing a little bit more of this um, and thought, you know, my company was paying for it. It's of course you could only take a black hat and I was like going to black hat and I got lucky enough to get a ticket. So I was like, I'll go, you know, we'll see how it goes. Like I'll take the course and I'll probably learn a few things. I know some of it will be over my head, whatever got there. And it was insane. It was like way over my head. Um, I mean, there's uh, certainly like, I understand the fundamentals. Like I, t I did some reverse engineering courses and I, you know, understand assembly at a basic level. And I, uh, you know, did like OSCP and could do like a very rudimentary, like buffer overflow and, you know, understand, you know, some stuff in that space. But in terms of like being able to actually sit through that course and understand all of it and put together those exploits and like do modern, like windows exploit dev, like it sort of blew my mind. Right. So I'm curious, like, yeah. um, I mean, Hey, I don't know if you've taken that course, but in terms of like modern windows defenses, right. So what you, you know, yep. in, in the space that you specialize in, um, you know, what are the, what are the challenges these days, uh, you know, for somebody who, you know, is playing at that level? Right. So no, I didn't take the, that course yet. It's something that I'm planning to do. Uh, but, uh, like I'm still studying and trying to gather some knowledge in some specific area that I, I know that I'm missing. So um, before, especially because like the syllabus is huge and the course will be hard. Even even for me that I'm like doing these things like on on my daily basis, there are some specific areas. Uh, for example, the the hypervisor escape like VMware and stuff uh, are. For example, I didn't look to VMware. Uh, because it's not a target that I choose to, to look at yet again. So I'm not familiar with uh, its code base and with all the paradigms that uh, comes with uh, with um, like VMware as a target, for for example. Uh, and the same will be for like browsers. Uh, I know some stuff, especially for um, the old Internet Explorer or the old uh, Edge um, before it was like Chrome-based. And... Um, 
but for example, I, I don't know pretty much anything about Chrome and its code base again. So I'm still like learning stuff uh, in order to go there and try to get as much as possible out of the course. And uh, while for the modern challenges, uh, I would say that, uh, uh, and I will speak pretty much only for Windows, uh, not because the other uh, OS are not at the same level, that in some case is true, but because it's uh, what I'm the most familiar with. So um, I think that the, the challenges of vulnerability research and exploit development uh, are all the modern OS mitigation that, that uh, they've put in place. Because um, if you pretty much enable all the Windows mitigation uh, for exploit the protection and stuff, uh, again, it's not impossible because nothing is, but it will be like very, very difficult and very time consuming. And probably the time consuming part, it's, uh, it's like the challenge uh, for modern exploit development because um, it's difficult to be like uh, only one person. You you need to have like a team because, for example, you have to I don't know build an exploit from the browser in order to get like the zero click part. So you just visit a website and you get exploited. But for that, you always have to uh, escape the sandbox. And after that, you have like I don't know move from the privileges that you get on the OS to an higher level and all the mitigation that are in place for the software and the operative system itself, it what makes like all the exploitation, all the chains so time consuming and so valuable. And I think that's the same reason why you cannot find that uh, much free knowledge on modern Windows exploitation. Uh, if you look around, you will find like uh, uh, heap exploitation on, I don't know, Windows XP or 7, but uh, it's hard to find like modern Windows exploitation, apart from, I don't know, like Google Project Zero, that they push out the blog post and okay, that's fine, but it is Google. It, it can, I don't know, spend time, it, it has uh, resources, to, to allocate for doing like vulnerability research. And also if they publish stuff, uh, I'm not sure that they are like publishing the most advanced things or the things that they are working, actively working on, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've saved a couple of their, you know, Project Zeros, uh, you know, what they what they publish and it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's thick stuff. Um, yeah, I, I remember going through and when I did OSE, you know, they'd spend an entire day and you would, you would, I mean, you'd sit there for four hours through a lab and they'd be, it would get to a point where they were like, all right, now let's actually begin the exploitation part, right? You know, and so it is like kind of what you were alluding to in terms of, you know, it takes a team almost because, you know, there might be somebody yeah. who's good at, you know, finding a, you know, an area to attack, right? You know, there's, you know, obviously there's people who just fuzz stuff, right? And then if you can actually right. find the crash, like then, okay, how, you know, again, like you were saying, escape sandbox and then do this, do that. So it's like, you have to, there's there's so much knowledge that it takes to, you know, defeat, you know, to first find a hole, but then to defeat the multiple, you know, layers of, of security negations um, that, that exist. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I would say that, uh, the, the hard part is not finding a bug, but mm -hmm. doing the exploitation, the, well, doing the triage of the bug and doing the exploitation part. Yeah, I think that's probably why so many of those advanced defensive controls exist is so that developers don't necessarily have to patch the holes. Like, there, there's a hole, but you can't do anything with it because that layered defense. Um, yep. Obviously, if every developer had, you know, perfectly locked down code then they it would have never you know necessitated the need for all of the crazy stuff that you know windows has been layering on over time yeah and and especially i like like the the windows approach to security because uh, when they implement like a new security control they try to kill an entire class of bugs right so for example we, with um, the segmented heap and all the heap mitigation that they've put in place since like Windows 8 compared 
compared to, to Windows 7. Uh, they tried to kill almost completely like the uh, use after free bugs. And now with Windows 10, they add like uh, virtualization based security and other stuff protecting like the kernel and, um, and other sensible area of the OS, trying to completely mitigate an entire class of bugs, not just that specific vulnerability that happens. Is there a particular um, control, uh, you know, one of, you know, whatever it may be, like control flow guard or something? Is there something that you found where you're like, if you if that ends up being enabled, you're like, all right, now I'm really in for it, or this, you know, this is going to be like ramming my head against a wall for hours. Yeah, especially for uh, the kernel part, I think that the nowadays combination between like the uh, virtualization based security and um, uh, I only remember the like acronym uh, let me let me google it <laughs> uh, I don't know it's um, HCVI I think uh, it's uh, the hypervisor uh, control virtualization I don't know don't remember, but um, yeah, the the virtualization part where they actually have like copies of, of the kernel in an hypervisor, uh, it will be like the game changer when we will be enabled by default on most of the PC because your chain we will need another step, another another yeah, another things to to add to your chain to bypass or escape this control. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what are some, what are some interesting like vulnerabilities that you've, um, that you've found that you, that you can, that you can share? Oh yeah. So, um, I worked like, uh, on, on windows, uh, and for example, um, after, uh, Ionescu, uh, published, uh, it's a research about the windows spooler. Um, I got interested in that specific component and I dived into, into its code and, for example, I was able to find uh, a bypass for uh, one of the Microsoft Patch at the time. So it was like a straight, pretty much straightforward uh, LPE bug, but uh, not from a memory corruption uh, vulnerability, but from uh, a logic bug perspective. Uh, it was nice because there is no memory corruption, right? So um, no no mitigation in place, pretty much. Yeah. Out of, out of curiosity, um, for your business, how are, how are you monetizing like the research that you do? Um, do you do you sell the exploits that you find? Do you work with bug bounty, like just with the native bug bounty efforts from you know whatever company that you might be doing development against? Um, how does that look? Yeah. Uh, well, nowadays I have like uh, a full-time client that I work for, okay. uh, while in the past basically I was doing uh, consulting for different clients and some of those just uh, asked me to like poke or find vulnerability in their software. So the consulting was like already monetized for uh, and I was using like my spare time doing research just you know to have something to publish and have like my uh, curriculum <laughs> grow bigger in order to do that full time that is what I'm doing right now so um, uh, but yeah I, I'm in the past I worked with like uh, brokers or specific clients uh, I try to stick with uh, um, like defensive brokers um i don't know if it makes sense but there are pretty much like two different types of uh people that are interested <laughs> in buying exploit right mm -hmm. so for offensive purpose and you can think of like i don't know zerodium for example right. um or any other government pretty much because they need to do stuff uh, or defensive one that is usually like a, a feed-based approach where like the the broker or the client will have like a um, uh, security researcher selling to him um, like exploit and um, all the vendors that are submitted to this feed um, they will receive like the, the exploit and they can try to implement like mitigation in their own um, software or if they are I don't know like antivirus or um, EDR um, vendors try to you know write a detection mechanism for that particularly uh exploit or vulnerability okay yeah out of curiosity have you looked at like 
I don't know if this falls, I mean, it's not specific to Windows or anything, but have you looked at uh, Web3, like related exploit dev or, or vulnerabilities? I've, I've seen just in the news because it's Web3, right? Um, yeah. You know, some like huge bounty payouts for people who are finding vulnerabilities in that space. I've seen, yeah, I've seen the same, like uh, they constantly popping out on, on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I'm amazed by the payout amount that the people are getting out of it. Uh, I think that, I mean, um, I don't know why, uh, but for example, vendors are not paying that much for vulnerability. Uh, while for Web3, any kind of vulnerability has a huge payout. Uh, I'm not speaking only of like critical vulnerability where you can actually take away money from, from the exchange or people, uh, but any other vulnerability has probably better payout than, than what we are seeing now in, in, in the security field, like the traditional, let's say, security field. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like Web3 is so fragile that, you know, they're just willing to pay and they and those companies have so much money because that just a lot of people are dumping money into it, right? Um yeah. so they probably just have a lot they have they're they're flush with cash, so they're just throwing money at security researchers, who knows. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, I'm, I won't say that it's unfair because it, it's good. I mean, if you have the knowledge to exploit Web3, uh, it's good for you to, to get the, the huge, huge bounty um, until they, they pay. So, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know. I, rem I can remember that in the past, like, uh, for example, web vulnerabilities, even like critical one, wasn't receiving the same, like, amount out of it even for critical like components or from vendors that clearly have the money to, to invest in in bug bounty so is there like is there like um uh, like clicks within the exploit dev community where like the your windows exploit dev guys like think they're better than the web3 guys is that what we're getting at here no 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 <laughs> absolutely no 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 uh for example i don't know anything at all about web3 i mean uh, i own some crypto but i don't know how they work pretty much uh, nor i ever tried to to exploit like web3 related <laughs> stuff but um no i uh, i was more referring to like um the choice that Microsoft made some some month ago, like they were dropping uh, the price for um, LPE uh, vulnerabilities on Windows, mm -hmm. and I think that that specific decision backfired on, on Microsoft itself because uh, uh, nowadays is probably and it was already before, but now you are m even more convenient for you to sell. Uh, the vulnerability to like third-party brokers rather than Microsoft because they lowered the bounty so much that it doesn't make sense pretty much to sell to Microsoft. Yeah, I, that, that's again, I'm not in that space, but I do a lot of I you know read a lot of security-related news and I've seen you know uh, uh, complaints right from you know first-party uh, you know bug bounty programs where you know the payouts are inconsistent or they're low. And so, you know, people are more and more incentivized to go to, you know, third parties or even shadier places. Yeah. 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 So what, um, what's, what's sort of in your, and I'm sure you have a lot of tools, but what's like your, your primary toolkit? Uh, obviously like you probably have Ida Pro in the bag, but, um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's, um, it's not that different from like, uh, the tool belt that uh, I had back in when I was like a penetration tester. So I have like Ida, of course. I have like um, Barb Suite for the web application stuff. Uh, and um, I have like some um, static code analyzer because they help you dive into code faster than doing that manually. Uh, and I don't know, I have like. Uh, um, it's called Zero uh, Ten Editor. It's like an X editor, but you can also like uh, build template. And it, I found it uh, especially useful when you are like reverse engineering a protocol that you don't know because um, when you like discover some specific fields, you will put it down in the templates and you pretty much build uh, the packet 
uh, while reverse engineering, and you can apply the template back to like the packets that are um, shared on the network card, and you can again see which fields mean what and uh, their values and stuff. So it's one of the most uh, interesting tools that I have in my tool belt, actually. That's pretty cool. Um, have you have you used Ghidra? Do you like Ghidra at all? I've used Ghidra, uh, especially for some weird architectures in, in the past. Uh, I'm not using it uh, on my daily basis because I'm, again, I'm focusing on Windows, so x86, x86, 64, and uh, IDA is probably as, like, the most uh, working decompiler uh, or the best, uh, yeah, the best decompiler probably is still in IDA. Uh, but Ghidra has definitely its own points where you encounter like weird architectures and other stuff. Okay. Uh, I have like some colleagues of mine that are uh, using Binary Ninja because scripting in Binary Ninja is definitely faster and easier than doing that on, on IDA. Uh, and they are like crazy uh, using Binary Ninja. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think that the tool matter that more that than that much uh unless you know how to use it right so <laughs> do you use like volatility for like and i guess that's like more like a memory forensic tool but i don't know if that's no something... no no okay. no no yeah all right um you mentioned us like using a, a static you know app testing tool is that are you, is that an yep. open source tool you have a, a commercial tool uh no that. i do have commercial tools uh like mm, I don't know, uh, like check marks, for mm -hmm. example, or mm -hmm. uh, um, I don't know, Sonar Cube for 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 stuff, for, especially for the Java application or when you have source code. So most of the time it's Java, <laughs> and uh, they they can be useful. They of course find a lot of false positive. You have to go through, uh, especially because if you add have the source because you have the compiled class and uh, nothing is really perfect. So <laughs> uh, you, you can use them, but you have to put a good dose of your brain to filter out <laughs> all the false positives, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, in various roles I've had in the past, I've, you know, had to do I've never been like a full-time like manual code review kind of engineer because mm -hmm. I've uh, worked on you know small sort of teams where I have to do a lot of different things uh, and that would be pretty time-consuming. So I've always used a SAS tool, sort of a jumping-off point, and sort of review All the right. code around like whatever it's finding. But um, I had a role in the not too recent uh, past where the ask literally was this is a contract role. The ask literally was you know just do manual code review. Um, so I, I'm, and that's not, that's not really my background, right? It's always been like SAS assisted manual code review. Mm -hmm. So I had to, I had to, you know, sort of learn a little bit about, you know, how I just like open up a giant, you know, uh, project and like, just, yeah. you know, yeah. do, no, right, just I... go through it. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if that's something that you've done in the past. Yeah, I've done. Mm, I would say quite a lot of uh, code review, especially for like PHP application uh, or also Java application, uh, some electron based application. And like um, I had like a, a huge like uh, uh, client that had like its entire code base uh, in TLC that is not like that common to find as a language. Uh, so I didn't have any experience with um, TLC uh, code auditing. And uh, I figured out that uh, I spent like two weeks just looking at the reference for the code, understanding its syntax and stuff before like building uh, a Python script that would uh, aid me navigate the code base. And uh, yeah, and in the past I, I transformed that script into uh, a commercial product. Uh, not that he had like a lot of success because um, nobody used TLC, but uh, it, it helped me a lot for um, that role back in time. Yeah, that's one thing I'm definitely more interested in and in learning more about. Not really necessarily from a exploit dev context, so that would be cool. Mm -hmm. It's more just around, you know, being able to do having having a having a more like defined playbook for like all right here's you know 
here's a software package like and you have the, here's the source code do manual code review i have um like i have like this book the art of software security assessment you probably oh read, that's read nice yeah and and i i that was one of many textbooks I had when I took my vulnerability analysis, like vulnerability research course during my master's. Um, and I don't, we didn't read it like cover to cover or anything, but now I wonder like, maybe if I just go back through that, I'll, I'll be able to piece together my own like methodology for source code review. Yeah. Especially in, I think the first or two chapters, uh, it will details a lot of methodology and how to approach, uh, a code base. And I think it's uh, it's uh, still valuable, even if it's not that updated uh, for the rest of the content. I mean, it's still valuable as a book. Uh, I know I had I have like the hard copy on my desk because sometimes I use it as a reference. I go back and check stuff, and um, it's probably one of the best book you you can you can read about that. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, I guess switching gears a little bit back to sort of your, yep. your pen testing red teaming background. I'm curious um, if you've ever like dropped a, I don't know, I'll, I'll just say, cause it sounds fancy, like dropped an O day, like in a pen test or, or otherwise like had to do some exploit dev as part of a pen test. Is that something that you, you saw scoped in? Uh, it's fun because I, I, I'd like to think that uh, anyone that is doing like, pen test and found like a vulnerability uh, that is not known found a zero day, right? <laughs> so I, I think that, yeah, I, I, I found some zero day doing pen test. Uh, I didn't actually develop uh, like a memory corruption bug when I was doing pen test because uh, pretty much none of my targets were like that low level application that they were more like web application API or mobile application and endpoints uh, or like network stuff for which you don't really have to dip that low level. <laughs> but uh, for red teaming, uh, it happened. Uh, it happened because uh, usually we had like more time to, to spend on, on the target. So we were able to approach the target from different points and um, I wrote like different couple of um, exploit for 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 the clients. Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I I guess I if you know typically pen tests are at least the ones that are I guess the vast majority of them are are you know very time boxed and they're probably not you know they they probably don't want people spinning their wheels on potential exploit dev during it. But yeah. um, if you if you run across something um that looks promising then yeah maybe it's probably worth spending a little bit of time to take a look at or if they've scoped it in explicitly they really want you to to pummel it from an exploit dev perspective yeah i i think that nowadays um pen tester have like a lot of uh, time constraint um like they are developers <laughs> so the, the the tests uh, have to be made like for yesterday, right? And they don't have that much time to really deep dive in into all the code or all the attack surface that they have. So um, they, of course, have to pick like the low hanging fruits f first. And after that, if they have time, move towards like more exotic uh, uh, vulnerabilities and stuff. Uh, but otherwise, I think it would be good also for them to if they have time to investigate. But I think that the time is the problem for, for everyone, so. Yeah, I've seen a lot of like vendors and you know the platforms these vendors have that, that they market like automated pen testing, automated, even like automated red teaming. Um, it's only a matter of time, I guess, before somebody has a product that says automated exploit dev. What are your, what are your opinions on you know automating things that I think a lot of security I mean, there, there's really, there's a division there. A lot of people are like, you can't automate red teaming, right? That's not really how it works, but curious what you think. I think that uh, automation itself is not like evil, right? Uh, you can easily script things or automate boring star stuff or boring steps or make them faster. So um, I think that, of course, you can use automation with uh, uh, an actual people or a team of people uh, working on the target. 
um, I don't think at the moment that like just firing a tool will discover you know the most important zero day you have on your application and especially like for web application where you find a lot of uh, automatic tool to 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 launch to towards your your application um, they can help because they can check probably more test case that you can have like the time to um, they can again automate boring stuff or automatic boring checks or well-known vulnerabilities so um, they can help they can aid um, your 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 pen test doing the actual test uh, but for for all the other complex uh, vulnerabilities like where filters apply or uh, I don't know where there are logic bugs and stuff you still need to have like a human <laughs> behind yeah, the machine for sure so it's fair to say I mean there's a place for automation just if you want to call it that but but full but you know marketing or representing something is like fully automated um, is yeah. potentially a little disingenuous or or it's just not going to get the coverage that you think it will yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I won't try to call that a scam, but <laughs> I'm more on that side. Uh, if, if you read, like, this software can do the pen test for you, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I will not trust it. <laughs> yeah, no, agreed. Um, so sort of back to the when we were talking about the, the art of software security assessment, uh, I mean, are there... Yep. You mentioned, you know, it's a pretty good book still. Um, are there other, uh, I guess, I, just in general, for, for, you know, people who want to get into that space? Um, and, you know, I think you'll agree that, you know, there's there's a lot of education, right? A lot, and it builds on top of each other um, in order to get to get there. Because, I mean, even, even to go from just having a basic knowledge of pen testing to being able to do, like, what it was that I did for like OSCP, which is like basic buffer overflow, mm -hmm. that that takes a level of knowledge. And that if if you roll out of getting your OSCP and you're like, I'm gonna go do exploit dev, you're gonna run it, you're gonna run into a wall because you realize that <laughs> doing basic buffer overflow is not gonna net you much, um, you know, in modern exploit dev world. So, right, like yeah. for for somebody like just getting in, um, you know, all the way up to maybe like mid level, like what 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 recommendations do you have in terms of like educational resources? um let let we let's see so for example for uh browsers or linux based uh, exploitation you are luckier because there is a lot of free information out of there especially like uh ctf write-up like the real world ctf uh, write-ups or people that are publishing exploit for chromes or other browsers uh and of course you have like uh trainings you, you can buy like um, there is the red 2 system training focused on on browser exploitation and I had some colleagues of mine uh, doing it and they enjoyed it a lot so um, that's for example one of the things but it ain't cheap right <laughs> so if you can gain knowledge with free resource before dive into some like more advanced stuff that you always have to pay for uh, it's better because you will arrive like prepared to to the course and uh, and for windows it's uh, it's even harder because uh, as i mentioned before there is not that much free information so um, you can of course read uh blogs from vendors that maybe they are doing like um exploit development so google project zero uh zdi when they publish like uh not just the advisory but the entire research uh or trend micro and every boutique that it is doing uh, exploit development at some point have a blog post with knowledge about expo modern exploit development and um, yeah reading and uh, and of course again private training so for example Corelan it's uh, probably the best training you can get uh, about modern exploitation uh, with like offensive security that the OSEE uh, again ain't cheap uh, but uh, some some things cannot probably be cheaper because you have to put a lot of time diving into these topics so you have to monetize out of it yeah somehow. for sure i saw a project come up recently um and i'm gonna paste it to you in, in discord real quick so you can see if you're right. you might actually be familiar with it but this cve north stars 
You seen this? Uh, nope. It's the first time I seen it. <laughs> so it looks. I mean, this. It's not particularly. I mean, it seems sort of obvious. Um, and but it's probably not particularly novel. But it, it, it's essentially. I mean, they say kickstart, so I don't really know where, like, at what level you need to be to really start doing this. But um, it's essentially like go look at CVEs, go look at existing CVEs, and then use mm-hmm. the you know there's and in, in many cases with many CVEs you know linked out to resources for blog posts, POCs, you know whatever it is, a ton of resources around you know how that vulnerability is found and how it manifests and and that sort of stuff. And I think that's you know I don't know where this project will go. Um, but for, for somebody like me, who's been like borderline interested in, in doing more in this realm, but is sort of scared, like, uh, I don't know, like if I have the time to really dedicate to it or, you know, have the foundational knowledge needed to like really dive into mm-hmm. it. You know, I, this, this has seemed like a cool, like very practical way. Cause it's, I think for, for at least for me, and I can only speak for myself, but I imagine other people feel similar. It's, it's one thing to go do like, uh, OSCP or go take a course, right? My master's mm-hmm. program, I mentioned, I did a vulnerability research course and that's great if you can learn like the academic fundamentals, but then when it comes to like practical exploit dev, it can be discouraging because you're like, all right, I'm going to dive into this code base, but you don't really know, like you sort of need like a, to get, to get some traction in like a practical way. And I think going and looking at, this is an actual CVE that came out somewhat recently on a relatively easy to exploit code base. You know, it's not like you're diving right into like super modern windows, like badass ninja exploit dev, but you know, real exploit dev. Right. So I, I think this is sort of a cool project. One that at least I've started to take a look at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you are like uh, at mid level and you want to know more about uh, about a topic, I think that doing proper hands-on experience, apart only from like reading, uh, it's trying to reading and replicate the stuff. So, for example, like doing patch diffing or exploring CVs where you already have like uh, write-ups from other people to follow through uh, and stuff. It's um, it's a lot easier than just take this code base and dive into it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for sure. I- I'm not familiar with this project, but uh, I will read more about because it can be interesting. Yeah, one thing it, actually just looking at the overview, it, it I don't know, there's probably more to come, but the the initial tutorial analyzes uh, none other than the, I guess, recent Windows print spooler CVs. Then sounds like probably the same, at least in the same class of the ones that you mentioned earlier in the show. Okay, uh, that's, that's nice. It's, it's funny. That yeah, for example, that yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, it is. For example, the CV uh, 2020 1337, it's one of mine CV. I mean, it's not only mine because me and other, I don't know, like, six researcher shared the same CV about the print spooler because we collide uh, on, on the same vulnerability. But uh, yeah, it was the, the spooler vulnerability that I was mentioned before. That's a, that's a great CVE <laughs> ID to get. Yeah, <laughs> the ID was like pretty on spot. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. If you put that one right at the top of the resume there. Uh, 2020, no less too. 2020 was a, was a hell of a year. Not, right, not, yeah. in a good, not in a good way. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely. <laughs> For example, here in Italy, we had like this crazy long, month-long uh, lockdown. So we really stayed at home. <laughs> how, how are things over there now? I mean, COVID sort of winding. Like here, it seems COVID sort of winding down um, in, many, in many ways. But, you know, there's now there's economic and other sort of tension because of this this whole russia fiasco uh, absolutely yeah i think i mean uh both from people perspective and government perspective the, the attention is uh, on other topics so we for example we don't speak anymore about covid uh, on tv while just one year ago we had like all the deaths counts and mm, contagion counts on screen and now of course the focus in it's uh, it's uh, on other topics so you don't speak about that i mean i it's probably still there and uh, 
probably with the winter and people stay more in in closed space uh, it will come back uh, for sure but we'll see <laughs> yeah i think even um the the president here like announced in in like a 60 minute interview that you know the pandemic is over i think he said that pandemic is over uh, like covid yeah, still a thing, yeah. but pandemic <laughs> is over so uh i guess yeah one one crisis we can handle at a time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess sort of like retrospectively, is there, I mean, is there anything that you would have changed? Like if you could go back and do it all over again, would you do it the same or would you, um, something you would well, start learning earlier, learn different, get into something different? Yeah. I mean, of course, if you can target the the position you are looking for uh, from the beginning it would be easier because you will be more exposed to like the things that interest you so for example if i was able to um, reach exploitation and vulnerability research uh, career since the beginning uh, nowadays i will be probably more like advanced or skilled uh, but it is what it is the only things that i can say uh, i would have preferred to, to to do different was like um having a more uh builder developer approach um because uh, knowing uh, at the very deep core uh, a, a language and building stuff as a, a working experience can greatly hide especially in for example the reverse engineering perspective and uh, and i'm referring to like c++ uh, structures and 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 other stuff that if i had worked as a, a c++ developer probably now that i'm reverse engineering uh, c++ code um, some things will click more easier than than it is so yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's pretty relevant for a lot of areas in security because you're you're. I mean, security doesn't exist without the thing you're trying to secure. And if you have experience as a developer, you'll probably make it. A, you know, help you kickstart a you know a career in application security. If you have experience being a you know Windows security administrator, you're going to be that much better doing Windows pen testing, yep. right? Because you understand, yep. you know, how thing you know what how to secure things so now you know how to break things right so um or how to build something so you know how to break it right yep absolutely and and i think that uh, that's that's a kind of problem because if you look at all the cores out of there and uh, all even like the um blog posts and 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 articles that are published a lot are on offensive security because it get uh, more traction. I don't know uh, if you read uh, of a CVE, uh, it's more interesting than reading from a patch perspective, I think. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, um, and probably the same would be true for like all the gamification and bug bounty stuff that, that, that is uh, out of there. I don't think that uh, starting uh, at this time uh, would be easier because you will find a lot of different uh, information. It's hard to navigate through and all the mindset is just on offensive security, on breaking stuff, but um, not that many pets uh, actually teach you the basis uh, and the stuff you really need. I mean, most of the people now, or most of the um, guy that I'm speaking with, like they want to jump into the security field or they are starting, mm, they are really like uh, um, interested by the bug bounty, by making money, by you know finding vulnerabilities and, and stuff. Uh, but some, well, I I will say most of the time they will lack of. Uh, all the basis, all the knowledge that is behind it. And so again, developer experience <laughs> or developer or builder experience at least. So you know some of the stuff you will go to break. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of people who see that as a path to like make money on the side, but might not realize not only the level of knowledge you need, but how time consuming it, it, it can be. Yeah, and, and especially because for bug bounty, you will have a lot of competition. 
So some people just automate some kind of vulnerability class and you can't really compete with, with, with those uh, uh, scripts, for example, because they are faster, they can run 24 <laughs> hours a day and they can just put targets in there and they will find yeah. vulnerabilities, for example. So you have to focus on harder vulnerabilities. And if you are at the beginning, uh, I don't think that is the, the right path doing bug bounty, straightforward bug bounty. Yeah. I, I don't think, at least for me, uh, I don't think it's the, the best approach you can have to, to learn stuff. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's certainly a path to try and learn that. I mean, even if it's not the most efficient, but I, I definitely wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't tell somebody like, you can make money that way, especially as a beginner, right? Because like you said, yep. you're not going to find things first because, you know, you've got very seasoned, you know, security researchers who automate it or, or you know, are going to hit the best targets first and, and obviously are going to find things a little faster than you. Um, but certainly if you want to yeah. spend some time, you know, hunting things down and not finding it first and then going reading, you know, somebody else's research about how they did it, right? You can you can learn that way <laughs> inevitably. Yeah, of course. But yeah, for example, I don't know, uh, a lot of people end up focusing on like a um, class of vulnerability because they are still learning, right? So mm -hmm. if you are at the beginning, you don't know all the classes of vulnerabilities that are, that are out of there. So you will learn a bit and focus on that class for I don't know, as much time as you need before you learn another class of vulnerabilities. Uh, I don't, to me, it doesn't seem sufficient, right? But it can be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm curious, like, just in terms of, you know, obviously, Vuln research, like we spoke about before, you know, there's a lot of knowledge that goes into, um, into it. So, you know, beyond going to school and focusing on, you know, uh, or having a program that, that, you know, you, from an academic perspective, do a lot yep. of development and then, and, and then like getting into actual reverse engineering and vulnerability analysis. It, it, it seems like a particularly hard field to break into. Cause I, I imagine there's, I mean, I'm sure some companies have like junior vuln research positions, but I imagine most vuln research positions are like, you either know how to do it at a, a basic level, which is somewhat an advanced security skill, or you don't. Um, so yeah, I'm curious, you're, like... you're, you're right. Uh, most of the positions that I've seen open uh, for this type of field are for mm, like mid career or seasoned uh, developer, uh, exploit developer. And it's hard to find like internship or junior position for uh, this area. Um, Again, I'm not entirely sure why, because uh, of course you can take up uh, a junior and like you need to teach to how to work. Of course, that's true for all the other fields. Um, but again, it's fast paced. So some, somehow I think the mindset of course will matter the most for junior position. Um, and of course, if you already have like knowledge about I don't know, exploit development, of course. Uh, and that's why most of the people find easier to approach from uh, the Linux OS because you can find more um, training material or mat learning material um, outside on, on internet than, than from Windows. Um, but yeah, so for, for like uh, aspiring VR um, researcher, um, I think that mindset would be the best things you can you can you can have. So look for paths that nobody looked at, or looks for things more time than other people. <laughs> Just uh, you don't always have to break stuff. Uh, I think you just need to understand how the stuff works. Yeah, I think that's like part. It's like, how do you know what? Like, what's the what's the measure by which you say I, I'm at the point where, reasonably speaking, I mean, you never know. Like, if you if you're good at networking or have a great interview, you can get in anywhere. But maybe, but at what point are you like, I have the necessary skills, experience, understanding to to get an exploit dev job right, or VR job? Um. Well, 
let's see. I think that the like junior position uh, focus more on uh, patch diffing or building exploit for CVEs that, that are already out of there. So as long as you can perform uh, reverse engineering and patch diffing on on specific components, because like the CVE maybe mentioned um, the area where the vulnerability was found, and uh, you have like basic knowledge of exploit development, because sometimes you just require to like understand the root cause. Uh, of the bug itself and not to write the exploit. Uh, I think you are good to apply for junior position, but of course it's different from every company. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, have you, uh, this is somewhat switching gears again. Have you, have you ever participated in any or, or interested in participating in any like exploit dev or like VR competitions? Like Pwn to Own is the one, or at least the main one that sort of pops into my mind. I never been there. Uh, it's something that I'm looking into. Uh, I'm still trying to, you know, understand all the uh, aspects of the pawn to own. I mean, it, it is for sure good for uh, advertisement purpose um, and payout depends on on the vulnerability. But um, like all the targets and stuff and the preparation you need to have before going to that competition uh it's n not that easy to figure it out right so you probably need to have like multiple uh vulnerabilities just in case or i don't know i, I can imagine or <laughs> derive some of the stuff from other people that was there but uh, i don't know yeah are there like I don't know of any other. I mean, there's probably there's probably plenty of other like competitions similar to it, but or or like maybe even like CTFs. Is that something you've done sort of in this space? Uh, I've done CTFs in the past, uh, not uh, um, on on an exploit development perspective, especially because most of the CTF uh, in the past were on like Linux targets only, and mm -hmm. now most of them focus on like Chrome browsers. And I these two are not targets that I'm. <laughs> usually working on so yeah um so i guess my last question for are are you aware of or part of any communities that sort of center around vr exploit dev i mean i you know am familiar with a ton of more general cybersecurity communities there's tons of discords and slacks and you know owasp and all these things but i don't know if there's one that you're familiar with that's that's pretty you know vr heavy well, I, I think that here on Discord, there are like channel, like mm, the reverse engineering channel or the, um, uh, like the secret club channel that are like reverse engineering and vulnerability uh, research oriented communities. And um, apart from that, uh, no, again, it's not uh, a field where it's that easy to build like a community. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I can think of some reason. Again, especially because it's um, so time consuming and so valuable. Uh, it's hard to find people like willing to share uh, information apart from like work. <laughs> yeah, I guess outside of, you know, publishing stuff on their blog um, or coming out with a training or something and, and selling that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's the main problem. Uh, and another thing is now everyone is moving towards like Discord or other platform like Discord. And uh, I think we are like losing a bit of history and a bit of uh, like capabilities in the, in, in, in the sense like when we had forums, uh, it was easier to have a, like a co um, legit conversation on a topic without uh, having other people, you know, uh, coming along with other questions and interrupting like your flow and stuff. And it was easier to search content. Now that uh, every community pretty much is on Discord, uh, it's not that easy to to work with uh, other people on the same topics on those platforms. I don't know about you, but for me, Discord doesn't work. For, for no his, search his is a mess <laughs> yeah threading is is not you know doesn't give you that the, the same 
um, sort of yeah timeline that you get like in a traditional forum. So uh, yeah, totally agree. So it's yeah, I mean, so whatever help you get there is you know it's, I mean maybe you can ask you can throw a question out there maybe somebody can try and steer you the right direction but you're not going to get that like, you know continuum. Yeah, and that's I think that's uh, it will be a problem because uh, if for example you look into like uh, Russian based uh, forums or or um, or communities, uh, they still have like forums, active forums or active places where they can gather and share and share information and uh, I think we don't so I don't know but uh, everyone is uh, publishing stuff uh, on his own blog and it's hard to to gather knowledge it's got it's hard to to, to gather historic uh, on, on vulnerabilities on methodology that one people used and maybe you never heard of because if you don't know the the website again it's, it's hard hmm. yeah it sounds like an opportunity to uh build some sort of exploit dev forum like traditional forum based community and have some modern features to i don't know like people can create <laughs> profiles and link out to their blogs or something who knows yeah it, it, it can be it can be yeah well uh, it, you know it was great great talking with you Paolo. i don't know if you have anything else you want to if you want to pitch void sec or or um or anything else but uh certainly certainly fascinating um definitely i definitely will probably probably reach out to you one day i'll i'll get like real i'll crack open art of software security assessment and then i'll have a bunch of questions and i'll i'll bug you or something <laughs> all right that, that's that's perfectly fine <laughs> yeah well cool um Nice having you on. Maybe I'll have you on again in the future when I, uh, I'll, you know, get back into my exploit Devi ways, and I'll, you know, I'll have you back on for more technical chat or something. Absolutely. Why not? 